Welcome to Stop Wanting Him Back and Find Someone Better, where I talk about my personal and my group coaching clients' experiences of healing our hearts, authentically falling in love with ourselves, and yes, finding someone better. I'm Claire the Heartbreak Coach. Let's take your love life and entire life to the next level. Hello, my loves. Welcome to episode 194, Addicted to Love. I am here with just one of the biggest loves of my life, Miss Katie Johnston. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Love being here with you. So Katie has been on this podcast before. She is my client and she is also my guest instructor in my group program, same title as this podcast, Stop Wanting a Back and Find Someone Better. This podcast is, of course, for all ages, races, religions, sexual orientations, genders. This program, my program, is specifically for women. It does not matter uh, what your sexual orientation is either or your race, religion, anything, age, heartbreak, dating, relationships. It is a universal lesson. You will also hear me tend to lean on the pronouns him versus her in heteronormative terms because I am a straight woman who has moved through a fuck ton of heartbreak and ultimately called in the man of her dreams. So please apply whatever gender pronoun works for you as you are navigating through your love life and as you hear us speak in predominantly heteronormative terms today. And Katie J is also, I call her Katie J. There are lots of Katie's in my life. I have an assistant Katie. Katie J. We had another Katie in the group. And yeah, Katie is just, and Larry's daughter's name is Kate. There's lots of Katie's in my life. Uh, But you are also such a dear friend to me. Yes, Katie is a client in the group, as I said, and she is a guest instructor because she is a coach herself and is such a model student of this work in my program. She came to me heartbroken and she has found the love of her life. And she's just an incredible coach. And I thought deeply about who a solid guest instructor could be in this group. And I thought, well, why not a student of the group where women are watching her be such an example? And what I love so much about you is that you just bring so much rawness and vulnerability still when it comes to your relationship with yourself. And I really wanted to bring Katie on today's episode because this topic of love addiction, well, first of all, resonates deeply with both of us. And it is definitely a topic that's come up in the group. Katie and I were really moved by Matthew Perry's interview with Diane Sawyer. That is Friends, the show Friends, Matthew Perry. He shared uh, recently on an interview about his ongoing battle with addiction to drugs and alcohol and is God pray on the other side of it. But as he so poignantly said at the end, and I'm really jumping the gun here, but here it is. It's one of the nuggets I want to share. He said at the end of his interview with Diane Sawyer, you know, she said, how will we know if you're not well again? Because this guy has been on the wagon and off the wagon in and out of rehabs and has almost lost his life several times. And, you know, I thought he gave such a beautiful answer, which was when I tell you that I'm cured that is when you should know that I am not well, when I tell you that I'm cured. So what does his addiction to drugs and alcohol have to do with potentially your addiction to love? I often make this comparison with my clients because it's like, oh, it's not a big deal if I go to the same gym as him. It's not a big deal if I'm still in contact with him. It's not a big deal if 
you know, we work together, which sometimes you have to work together. I get it. And sometimes you're sharing children with this person, but that, you know, if you were going sober off of alcohol, you would just steer clear of the bar, right? You don't want to be around it. You don't want to be tempted by it. And so I'm often using this comparison and I just thought so much of what he shared on that interview really resonated with me as someone who I identify as a love addict. And Katie, you don't mind me speaking for you because we've talked about this already, that you identify as a recovering love addict now in your ideal romantic partnership as well, correct? Correct. So let's just define, because love addiction is very, it can be interpreted in very many different ways. And the kind of love addiction that I want to address today isn't the type of love addiction where there's an inability to maintain a relationship after the high and the newness wears off. That's not the type of love addiction that I'm talking to. I think that that's an avoidant love addict, someone who loves the high. And as soon as it just like life gets real, life gets normal, the person gets a little stale and comfortable with you, then you bounce. That's my interpretation of an avoidant love addict only is there for the love and the high, but doesn't want to do real life. But because of my own experience and my kind of love addiction, your kind of love addiction, all the women who I attract, I'd say 99% of the women I attract are addicted to unhealthy relationships and can't get over them and fixate on a really unhealthy, unavailable partner being their lifeline, their oxygen. Like if he comes back, then I'm okay, but I'm not okay without this person. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, and I'm speaking again for my clients, Katie's here looking at me (laughs) through the Zoom call, nodding her head, that, you know, one thing that I can say about myself, and I think for majority of my clients, and again, Katie, chime in if you think that I'm misrepresenting you, is I want I wanted the mundane with my ideal partner. I wanted to move through the boring. I wanted the hard. I wanted the challenges. I wanted to be the partner that was there for my partner going through tough times. And I wanted him to be that for me. I was prepared for, you know, the quote unquote honeymoon phase to be over and just like really craved that just all in kind of love where the highs are there, the lows are there, and you're in it through thick and through thin. And that my detriment was, and again, I'm speaking for you and majority of my clients, your detriment has been, you know, tolerating too few crumbs and terrible treatment and still wanting to stay. So that's the kind of love addiction we're addressing today because love addiction, I I think the same for alcoholism, you know, there's different levels of alcoholism. People get depressed. There's circumstantial alcoholism. And then maybe someone can start to drink again later on at a different phase in life. Like it's just such a big umbrella of what the definition of that is. So specifically, we're here today to talk about love addiction in the sense that you're addicted to a person that actually, you know, intellectually is not a healthy partner for you and you can't shake that person off. Is there anything else that you want to add before I offer up some signs of the kind of love addiction that um, we will be talking about today, Katie? Yeah, I was actually just considering, you know, like listening to you say, oh, like I wanted the mundane. I wanted my happily ever after. I wanted to like get through the, you know, initial like phase of lust and just get to the real intimacy. And as I was thinking about that, I think I thought that I wanted that. 
but I had honestly for so long had never experienced that. And there was like, I was just so used to the cycle of the hot and cold and the, it like, like, oh, it felt so good when he would come back after having pulled away. It was like that high. And I remember this was years ago when I was dating someone who was an addict and I was in a very dysfunctional dynamic. And one of my dear friends who had been in recovery for years brought me to some Al-Anon meetings. And I remember someone in one of the meetings saying, it's like, oh, like the alcoholic, it's like they get that relief when they get the drink. It's like when we are in partnership with the addict, it's like we get that relief when they give us the attention that we're craving. And I think that that's what was so familiar to me. And that's what I was so used to for so long. And I know we spoke a lot about this, you know, in a previous episode, like settling for the breadcrumbs. Um, I think I was very much addicted to that dynamic. It was so familiar to me. And it was like the high of the the relief of like when he did come back, I couldn't even fathom like a steady state. I, I didn't even know what that looked or felt like for a really long time. Yeah, I had experienced that steady mundane state in my very first relationship, my high school, college, eight-year relationships with my first sweetheart. And yeah, so I think that there is truth to that as well. I got bored with that. And then, oh, I'm like now in acting class in 24 and being the cliche girl in New York City who's just attracted to the addict bad boy. And I was addicted to the addict numerous times. So for sure, as you're saying that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. And I can absolutely relate to there just not being some steady equilibrium balance of just being in life together, being in the calm together with someone. But I was telling myself that that is what I wanted, you know? And so I just want to offer up, this is from recoveryranch.com. I pulled some of the signs of love addiction. And again, they gave so many more and it covers so much more, but specifically to what we're talking about today. So some signs of love addiction you are mistaking intense sexual experiences and new romantic excitement for love. You choose partners who are emotionally unavailable and or are verbally and physically abusive. You choose partners who demand a great deal of attention and caretaking, but who do not meet or even try to meet your physical and emotional needs. You find it difficult or impossible to leave unhealthy or abusive relationships despite repeated promises to oneself or others. And you repeatedly return to previously unmanageable or painful relationships, again, despite promises to oneself or others not to do so. Like I identify with all of that. And I think Katie's oh, just like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, that was me. Yes. That too. All of it. Oh, yeah. And so then again, this was pulled from recoveryranch.com. Um, something else to just be clear about if someone's listening right now and, you know, maybe you relate to one of these signs and it happened one time in a relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a love addict, right? I think there's this big stigma to this word addiction. And uh, it took me a long time to really surrender to this. Like, yeah, I am addicted to love. I need someone else to give me the love that I won't give myself. How many times I've been in just the depths of despair, no appetite, putting one foot in front of the other 
together just to get up in the morning. I remember thinking like pushing the button on my Keurig coffee maker. Ew, gross. I know I don't drink it anymore. Katie referred to it as brown water. But at the time, I just remember pushing that Keurig button, like coffee coming out as being an accomplishment in the morning. Just the depths of despair, that heaviness, lack again, lack of appetite, hair falling out feeling like there's no way I'm going to make it to teach this yoga class. There's no way I can make it and put a smile on my face for my friend's birthday. And by the way, you shouldn't always have to go to your friend's birthday or even your fucking best friend's wedding. If you are in the depths of despair and completely devastated, like take care of yourself. Just a side note. So if you're listening and you're like, oh my God, this means I'm a love addict. I think it's more that if you relate to majority of these signs and you're repeatedly doing them, whether it's with the same person or with multiple people. That's when I would start to question, hmm, maybe this is me. And by the way, not only is there Al-Anon for those who are loved ones of alcoholics, which I attended for a while in New York City a long time ago, uh, there's also SLA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Um, so there are you know, 12-step programs out there to help you with this. And there's, again, my course, <laughs> my program, Stop Wanting Him Back and Find Someone Better. Head to ClaireTheHeartbreakCoach.com, click on the Work With Me page, and apply. So with that, we had talked about this before we prepared for this episode and how, you know, now that you guys have gotten a little more familiar, maybe if you didn't understand what love addiction is, you know, as they say, the first step in all 12-step programs is awareness. Admitting it and awareness is the first step. And as I just said earlier, that was really fucking hard and humbling for me to admit because I think I'm miss with it. I'm very driven. I'm a go-getter. I'm healthy. I do yoga. I do meditation. I eat well. I exercise. I read self-help books. Like, so then to identify as someone who's addicted to love or, and even if there's this stigma attached to I'm, I'm a love addict. Would it be safe to say right now, if you're listening and super hung up on someone that you know treated you like shit, that everyone around you is like, what are you thinking? You dodged a bullet. Like, thank God he's out of your life. Could you at least admit that maybe you're just addicted to this person for the first time ever? I know it's super humbling and hard and it could bring up a lot of shame, but I am telling you, just recognizing it and owning it and Perhaps my hope is for you today, and I know that this is Katie's hope today, that you can say, oh, this is an actual thing, and I'm not alone. That's what I love about my group and you being in this space, Katie, and all the women here in that group, because I think majority of them can connect to this idea of being addicted to a person and how uncomfortable that is to admit. But truly, if it's like, okay, for me, when I understood what a narcissistic sociopath was for the first time during my rock bottom relationship, and then I started reading up on what an empath was, I was learning about what an empath was and the dance between an empath and a narcissist, which again is just like a separate episode. But when I started to see that there was textbook examples of this and that this is a thing and that I'm not the only empath attached to a narcissist, it gave me relief. And so when I when I started to learn about addiction to love, I was like, oh, there's a this is a thing. Oh, there's a 12-step program for it. Oh, I'm not alone. That's what I really would invite any of you listening right now who might feel a lot of shame. Like you are so not alone. I identify as a recovering love addict. I love 
how Matthew Perry said, you know, you'll know that I'm not well when I when I say that I am cured because his sobriety will be a lifelong for the rest of his life journey. And even in my own ideal relationship, I've had some major triggers. Katie knows about them and I can share. I think I have shared in the past, but I think I want it's another episode that I want to do. How does my love addiction and trauma come out even with my ideal partner. And that doesn't mean I think Larry's cheating on me or fucking me over the way other guys do, or that Larry is an abusive partner or emotionally unavailable. He's like the exact opposite of all of that. And I trust him innately. But the journey to get to the level of comfort that I feel three years in was quite the journey. And there are still, I would say one, one, uh, example of how I know I'm not 100% cured just because I'm in my ideal relationship is that from time to time when we fight, I think our relationship is ending. Like I go to the place of like, this means we're done and you're going to abandon me and you don't like something that I said or you're getting angry. And now this means that this is the end and I'm going to have to start over. Like it feels like we're, and that's not every fight. And no, we don't fight all the time, but we're a real couple. But I have had those fights where I'm like, and this is the end. And, and my brain goes to, and my life will be over. Now I'm Claire, the heartbreak coach. I know I'm going to apply my tools if God forbid we never worked out, but it's like, not that that fear is completely erased from my brain. And let me just share. And I want Katie for you to chime in. I know I'm saying a lot here right now as we're talking about just admitting it and awareness and acknowledging that maybe I'm not ever going to be 100% cured because I think trauma truly still lives in the body. And our job is to manage it and heal it and work through it. And I think all the work that I have done and that you have done, Katie, so beautifully in the program is that helps us attract our ideal person is because we don't act from the trauma anymore, right? You can crave the alcohol, but you're not going to drink it. You can crave the person. You're not going to reach out and fuck him. Or you can start dating again and notice you're being pulled to that unavailable guy again, but clock it and be able to discern in a different way and say, ooh, I'm clocking unavailability. Everything in my vagina and my heart and my head or I'd say vagina and my heart wants to run into this person, but, oh, thank God I'm in this program because I'm going to check in with Claire and I'm going to do the steps that are offered and clock the unavailability and nip it in the bud before I get so sucked in again and lose myself again. That's what the essence and the purpose of all of this work is. So would you like to chime in on any of this when you feel that you know, especially I'd love to hear, and I'm sure the audience would love to hear, Katie, about your experience of when it really hit you. Like, this is a real problem. This isn't just like, oh, I'm a little butt hurt over a boy. Oh my goodness. I, yeah, I don't even know where to begin. There's, (laughs) there's so much that, um, is resonating about what you just shared specifically. And I'll just speak first to the idea that yes, you can still have the instincts or the, you know, unintentional thoughts or beliefs, you know, the old ways of being, those will still come up and that's not the problem. It's just, okay, what am I doing when these ways of being pop up? It's like, okay, I can crave the drink and then just, I can, I can notice that I'm having a craving without needing to scratch the itch. And I think that was, you know, the biggest piece for me in the last few months before 
I actually met my now boyfriend. It's I was out in the dating world and I was attracted to the unavailables. I was wanting to engage the way I always have. And it's not a problem that I wanted to or that I was attracted to this person. I just didn't do what I used to do. I just didn't continue to engage the way I used to engage. I just said, yeah, I see that. Like, I am intrigued here and I am wanting to pursue this and I'm just not going to. And I'm going to yeah. like commit to my plan and my path. And that's why I have a coach and a group to support me and to help me check my shit and keep me, you know, on the, for the lack of a better, you know, phrase on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Um. So like, that's, you know, I, that was just coming up for me when you were saying about like not acting on the old thoughts or, you know, the old urges. Patterns. Totally. Yes. Um. And, and as your coach, yes. I witnessed, <laughs> you know, like hard times. Like, it's like, it, it sounds like we're like, yeah, I just didn't satisfy my urge or my craving anymore. No, that was not easy for you. It sucks. Yeah. There were several times that you came to the call being like, I'm going out with this guy who literally told me he's not looking for a relationship, but I'm my brain. And this is the beauty of the work and clients like you in the program. K- Katie's like, putting her face I just covered, I just covered my face. Cause I was like, yeah, I actually, my brain was really trying to convince me that like, this is okay. Right. But you were on to your brain and that's the beauty of this program, right? It's like, okay, now I'm catching what my brain is doing and I could avoid Claire and I could avoid the calls or I could step up because I made this investment in myself to show up differently. And it's so fucking uncomfortable. So resisting the urge is still uncomfortable, right? It's like, there's two discomforts. One is going back and fucking Mr. Wrong, who you know is Mr. Wrong repeatedly, or going right in and seeing the signs of unavailability and, and letting yourself get sucked in and telling yourself it's fine. And, and then afterwards, it's not fine. And that not fine discomfort of here I am again, I did it again, or the discomfort of saying no, which is so unfamiliar to your brain. Your brain is so comfortable painting green over the red flags and just going, right? So totally. This is the beauty of the work is feeling the discomfort and saying no to him and yes to you. So so awareness is the first step. I am not I'm not here for this podcast episode today to give you 12 steps. This is not a 12 step program, but there are a lot of similarities I think to my group. It is anonymous. We meet four times a week at various times so that women all over the world can make at least one call live. Nobody slips through the cracks. It's an incredible group. And they're learning so much. You're all learning so much from each other and inspired by each other. And yeah, I just wanted to like move through some things that people could take away listening. So awareness, right? Do these signs resonate with you? Is what Katie and I are sharing resonate resonating with you? Could you be addicted to love or just simply addicted to this person? If you're listening to this podcast episode, you might be questioning that. And then the second thing that I would invite you to consider is, do I want to, and I use the words, get sober or clean? Because there's admitting it, and then there's a decision of, do I want to stop engaging? Because it's it's shameful to admit that you have the problem of being addicted to this person who treats you like shit or just is not available. Like, I've I've dated guys that are unavailable, but they're not horrible people, right? But, you know, okay, 
I'm aware that I'm addicted to this person who's unavailable. I think there's also beyond the awareness that you've got an addiction to him. There's the awareness of his unavailability because when we're addicted, we also want to say, no, but he, he could change or he's going through a rough time, right? Like when you really get real with yourself and the addiction to yourself or, or yourself and the addiction to him, as well as the reality that this person is not an available person. And, you know, we could do a whole episode on what unavailability looks like. We're not doing that today. Definitely apply to my group or get geared up. My course may be coming onto the shelves sooner than you know it. Yes, those are two different things, my course and my program. Again, go to clairetheheartbreakcoach.com and click on the work with me page if you want to see the difference between the two. And then the next question, as I just said, is do I want to nip this person in the bud? Because a lot of people, even people in my group say, I want to, I want to get rid of him. But what their, their actions are not showing that, right? It's like someone saying, I want to get sober, but then they go and they get shit-faced that night. I think there's also power in admitting I'm addicted to this person and I'm not yet ready to let him go. I have a loved one in my life who is very heartbroken right now and she cut contact, but then she just tapped him on the shoulder again. And I said, okay, well, you know, when are you going to stop? And she was like, well, I also want to reach out on this day because it's a special day for him. And I said, well, are you sure you really want to do that? And she said, yes. And it's like, okay, I'm not your coach. I'm just your friend. So I'm not going to, you know, unsolicitously coach you. But like that is someone who's not ready to let go and get clean, get sober. And you know what? There is some power to just saying, yeah, no, not there yet. I'm going to keep stalking his Instagram and see him with his new woman. And I'm like continuing to reach out. And it's like, you have to go through the motions and just admit it because eventually you will get sick of it. We just had another client in the group who's finally on the other side of her heartbreak. And she was like, I knew, Claire, that you knew I was still doing all the things. I was showing up to events where I knew he would be. And I was telling myself, it's just not that that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. And, you know, I'm over here as her coach saying it is a big deal, but you've got to decide when you're ready to actually stop wanting him back. And if right now you're listening and you're not ready, I say own that and allow that. Because the more you judge yourself or fight and say, oh, I'm not ready, but I need to be ready. I should be ready. The more you won't be ready, the more you'll keep doing it. When you shame yourself for the addiction, you know, I think about shaming yourself for drinking or shaming yourself. I'm cautious to talk about eating because I know that that's like a very, um, uh, that's a trigger warning here, but you know, there is that, or like I should be working out and you don't work out, whatever it is that you think you should be doing, the more you should on yourself, the A line is to keep avoiding it and come up with all the excuses to not do it or to keep doing it or to justify or to belittle the ramifications, right, on the other side of just like, oh, I'm just going to show up and pretend to myself and Claire and this guy that I don't give a shit that I'm in his presence when I do. So I, again, to make it more succinct, just awareness of, okay, maybe I am addicted to this person or addicted to love, then asking yourself, do you want to change? Do you want to heal? The goal isn't to get 100% cured as we just touched on earlier. The goal is to nip it in the bud so that ultimately you can not only just create peace and lightness and closure and have your own life back and your own relationship with yourself back, but ultimately be in a position that Miss Katie J and I are in, which is in really healthy, thriving relationships, even with some unhealed wounds we're carrying with us. 
Katie, would you like to add to any of this? Yeah, I just want to echo, right? Like making that distinction of like, it's one thing to admit that, yeah, this is maybe a problem that I have, or this is something that I continually struggle with. And then deciding like, and am I willing and able to do something about it? And I can't help but think of something that Matthew Perry shared in his interview with Diane Sawyer. Um, I think it was in the interview. I also listened to the book, like in his book immediately after, which is so wonderful. And I we resonated. don't love we don't love that he, you know, threw Keanu Reeves under the bus, but outside definitely, of that, we definitely did not care for those remarks. But I will separate that out because there was so much um that I did really resonate with, you know, in his book and in what he shared in his interview with Diane Sawyer. And something that really stuck out to me was how he was talking about how scared he was for people to find out how bad it was because he knew that he would have to give it up and he didn't want to. Mm. And he knew that the detox was going to be so bad. And he would like intentionally like do that thing. And again, it's, I like, it's like, oh, like the diet starts on Monday. Let me binge eat this weekend. That kind of mentality. It's like, I know it's going to be so bad. Yeah. So another sign of being a love addict, and I talked about this recently on Instagram, follow me at Claire, the heartbreak coach, if you don't already, is uh, when you stop telling your loved ones shit that he's doing because you know it's so bad and you're ashamed to admit it and you still want to justify to yourself like it's fine it's different but if it's so fine and if it's so different your loved ones will be like oh okay they'll be on board with that too but i'm so guilty of that oh my god me too guilty of hiding how bad it was because I didn't want to even admit to myself. And I think that was more like I was unwilling to admit to myself how bad it was because I didn't want to go through the discomfort of having to walk away. I knew it was going to be brutal. Yeah. And in so many ways it was, but it's like staying is also brutal. And like being in, you know, like engaging in a destructive behavior, whatever it is, is brutal in its own right. Going through the withdrawal or the detox or the saying no to something that is not serving you, it hurts in a different way. And it's like, choose the, choose the discomfort that's going to serve you in the long run. Choose the discomfort that's going to serve you. In the long run. And look, we're not sugarcoating it. It does get worse before it gets better. Just like Matthew Perry said, the detox was like so brutal when you're detoxing, physically detoxing. I also do just want to point out, I don't identify with being an alcoholic or a drug addict. Neither does Katie. Some of you might be listening, and I wish I had said this a little bit earlier in the episode. I know they're not exactly the same thing, but I do think that there are a lot of parallels And also, I just want to add in, and this is not saying because I have not experienced addiction to substances, that what I think makes love addiction extra hard is that the person, the unavailable person, has the ability to speak to you. Alcohol and drugs doesn't speak to you. It feels like they probably do speak to you, like, use me, right? Drink me. But when you have like a a person, and again, to be very clear, I'm not saying one is easier than the other. I'm just saying this 
angle of the love addiction, I think does make it hard because we want them to to change. We hope that someone can change because we say, well, we're in self-help and we're changing and we're healing and we're growing. So he has that potential too. And then he has the potential to gaslight and manipulate and spew a bunch of words, but not have aligned actions with those words. So um, again, we know they're not completely identical, but that there are a lot of comparisons, which is why we were inspired to do this episode. But I think that that's important to point out. But yeah, it fucking sucks to go through with the withdrawal of the person. And we have all those thoughts of, I'm never going to feel this way again. No one's ever going to love me the way that he loves me. No one's going to get me the way he gets me. I'm never going to feel that fire and that chemistry. I don't think it's possible to have the fire and the chemistry and the emotional availability. That was a big one for me. I thought, ooh, like for me, I want to feel that fire and that connection. I never want to be bored. So I started to wonder because I didn't find Larry till 38. You didn't find Stuart till 40, right? Almost 41. (laughs) Yeah. That, oh, is that not possible until I fucking decided, well, I'd rather be by myself than with someone who only offers me fire and passion, but then tortures me emotionally. I would rather be my by myself. And I'd rather just go have casual sex and get my needs met so that I'm not emotionally attached and having these desires and expectations. And I also decided, you know what? I'm a sexy woman. I love physical connection. I have a lot to offer. I want heat. I want passion. I want fire. And I want emotional availability, consistency, loyalty, and commitment. And so if I exist than someone else does. And I'm not going to settle for less. And I'm going to start to get real fucking good at enjoying my own company until that person enters. I wish I could have. I mean, I just said, I wish I could. I was about to say, I wish I could have recorded that. But like, that's really what it comes down to. It is recording. Duh. Right. You just did. Good job. (laughs) But I think like, that's the fear is like, well, I'm probably not going to find that again. Okay. Choose you anyway. And I know that if you do this program and you follow my steps, you will find your person. I don't know the exact how. I don't know the exact when. But I know the healing of your relationship with yourself, knocking it off with the misters, misses, and they, wrongs. (laughs) I'm trying to include all genders there, right? Them, they, she, her, he, him, right? All of those wrong people, right? When you're just finally saying no to those people, then you've just got you to be with. Yeah. Really fucking boring, really fucking lonely, really fucking painful to face your own demons and not have the itch scratched by someone else who you think makes you happier than yourself. I get it. I've been there a million times over, and so has Katie. But to finally say no and move through just the, Martha Beck calls it the ring of fire. Are you willing to walk through that ring of fire to finally, and she doesn't say kill off, but I think of it that way, like kill off that that part of you that thinks that this person is the answer to your happiness or these substances or shopping or sex or whatever it is, you know, how willing are you to feel that deep guttural pain to get to the other side? And there always is another side, the other side. I was just doing, uh, writing an email and a post and make sure you're on my email list for all the latest offerings and happenings with Claire, the heartbreak coach and stop wanting him back and find someone better talking about, how a client and I were laughing on the other side this past week, a woman in the group just laughing at the crumbs that we settled for and tolerated and justified like, oh, this is normal that he's, you know, making his schedule, our schedule about him 
his feelings in the situation about him, his other relationship about him, and that you put up with it for so long. I dated someone who was in another relationship a long time ago, and you say to yourself, like, that would never be me. That only happens with other people. And then you find yourself just getting completely sucked in and then falling in love with someone who's just so not available on so many levels and lying to you and making false promises. And I swear I'm getting out. We have several women in this group. So again, if you're in an affair, whether you're cheating on someone or you're with someone cheating on their other person, like this is a judgment-free zone. Like again, I've been there, done that on all the fronts. So judgment-free zone. If you just want to get the fuck out and be done and be on the other side and be where Katie and I are, that leads me to the third little takeaway from this episode, the third and like final, the three main ones are, again, awareness, learning is, am I addicted to love? Do I identify as a love addict or just addicted to this person? And then asking myself, do I want to rid myself of this person? Do I want to get me back? And if you don't yet, and you still want to tap that person on the shoulder and you still want to stalk them and keep picking at your scab over and over and over again, own it. Just be aware, allow it. Don't you know, wrestle and try to tell, like I have, I'm thinking of someone in the group of like, oh no, he's behind me now. We're done now. Right. We're, we're good. We're good. And it's like, okay, but you were just with him last week. You can't tell me that all of a sudden he's, you're rid of him yet. Like I'm not buying it, especially because it's happened several times. So I'd rather you just be like, I fucking want this guy, Claire. I can't, When I'm with him, I lose all control. I'm weak in the knees. His smell makes me fucking lose my mind. It's like I see him and all rationale goes out the window. If that's you and you want the help, come into the program because admitting it and owning it and just saying, I'm still in it and I'm still doing it. I'd rather coach you while you're doing it and be aware of the thoughts and really getting clear on your honest truth of your brain. And your honest truth of your brain is I want him more than I want me. I want him more than I want to be cured. I want him more than I want an actual, real, healthy, solid, passionate, emotionally available relationship. There's so much power in that truth. Or if you do, again, come in either way, right? Like come in if this is you, apply to the group if this is you, and definitely apply to the group if you're like, no, 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 I'm ready for the fucking change. I'm ready to move through the ring of fire. I want to be where Katie is. I want to be where Claire is. I'm fucking ready. And, And if you do feel that way, then my suggestion is, You've got to raise the stakes so much so that it's life or death going back to him. Because this is the difference between alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and love addiction. I think for the most part, love addiction doesn't kill you unless if you're just so, you know, obsessed and in love with this person that without him, you just want to, you know, take your own life or hurt yourself. I would definitely suggest a different person to to counsel you on that. That is not my wheelhouse, self-harm or or having suicidal thoughts. But if you want help with that, for sure, just email hello at clairetheheartbreakcoach.com and I will do my best to find you the best resource for you locally. Um, but I, I know it sounds very dramatic to raise the stakes so much as if it would be life or death to go back to him. But because it's not life and death, that's what makes you keep going back, right? That is the difference between addiction to love or a person versus addiction to drugs and alcohol. Because again, domestic violence aside or self-harm aside, love addiction won't kill you. So you think, oh, well, let me just see if he's changed. Let me just see one more time. Let me just see if I am really okay. Because then we bargain, right? Like, oh, maybe what I had with him wasn't so bad. Like I tried to stick up for myself and demand that I want 
committed love and I want to be in an exclusive relationship, but maybe I actually don't need that. Maybe I'd rather just have him as is, right? We do all these mental gymnastics and I want you to get, again, raise the stakes so high that this is life or death, that if you know he's going to be at the same wedding, I don't care if it's your best friend's wedding. Does your mental health come first? And I have women in the group who have to work with their exes or these unavailable people. The first question I always ask is, is this job that important to you? And regarding some of the people in the group who are in that situation, they're like, yes, my job is. So I work around that. It's not my job as their coach to tell them, you have to quit your job. That's not for me to say. I'm not their mom. I'm their coach. But that is always the first question that I ask. And it's an important one. How can I raise the stakes that, you know, being in the same room as him and glancing at him is just as detrimental as an alcoholic being like, oh, if I just have a sip, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I want it to be just as vital. What are your thoughts on that, Katie? I have so many thoughts. Um, And I know you know that I, I was in the camp where I, I did self-harm and I did take an attempt on my life because I was in such despair in my very first heartbreak. And that came from, and I think, you know, this was, I think it's a cornerstone of, you know, my love addiction for so much of my life. I was really, really under the belief that my sense of self and my sense of worth was determined by someone else choosing me. And that's why I was so compelled to keep chasing it and keep putting up with it. And I was so desperate for it. It really did feel like a drug that I was desperate for because it did feel like my entire self was dependent upon it. And anytime it was taken from me, it was like my entire identity, my entire sense of self just walked right out the door. And I remember thinking, you know, I, I had such a low self-concept that I I couldn't fathom anyone ever loving me again. I It felt like such a miracle that this one person chose me to begin with. And when he walked away, my thought was, I'll, I'll never have that again. And life didn't feel worth living without it. And even though I've done like tremendous healing and I had, and I have, and I continue to do tremendous healing, that situation that I'm, that I'm describing, I was 19 years old. It was two years ago. It was during the pandemic. I was dating the douchiest of douchebags. Like I think back and I'm like, was there anything even like remotely redeemable about this man who I dated for four months who ghosted me? There was like nothing, like I couldn't tell you why I was even interested in this person aside from the fact that he was showing interest in me and he was like giving me attention and validation that I was still desperately seeking. And when he ghosted me, I knew I wasn't going to act on it, but those feelings of, I don't want to be here anymore definitely came up, you know, to your point at the beginning of this episode, like you'll know I'm lying. (laughs) When I say it's not a problem anymore, it still felt very, it did for me feel life or death. And again, right. It's just the difference of 
noticing and bearing witness to, to those feelings and that experience without, without acting upon it in the same way. What then was raising the stakes for you to the point that like, you're not going to do this again? What did that look like for you? Because Katie and I are the exact same age. Side note, we met in theater camp summer before our senior year of high school. And she circled back and found me almost exactly two years ago through another coach recommending my work because you were heartbroken. What do you think was the game-changing factor for you to really show up differently this time? I, as you were, as you were saying like earlier about, um, like being ready, right? Like just owning whether you're ready or not. I remember, and this was years and years and years ago when I, you know, was still with that, you know, when I was still in this very toxic dynamic with the alcoholic. And I remember saying to my therapist at the time, like, I just like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't know why this keeps happening. And it was like string after string of unavailable and unavailable, unavailable. And my amazing saint of a therapist, she just would look at me so lovely. And she's like, you're going to keep doing it until you're ready to stop. And I was like, but I am ready. I am ready. I am. And I wasn't. And it wasn't until my most recent heartbreak, which was the guy after this douchebag who ghosted me, that I was finally like, I cannot do this again. I was so unwilling to keep doing it. And what do you think that was for you? Do you think it was your age? I'm just curious. It's so hard to say. Um, maybe, maybe it's just, I mean, and again, I don't identify as, you know, an addict, I've, like, you know, to, to drugs or alcohol, but I know there are so many people that talk about the rock bottom and like, you just yeah. have to hit your rock bottom before you're finally like, I literally can't do this anymore. And that's the only way I can describe it. The thought of going through this bullshit one more time that felt like that would kill me. Mm. I remember, and I've I've shared this story before on the podcast, um, you know, when I was on previously, I, you know, was right after my ex broke up with me and I was crying to my best friend on the phone. And I said to her, I was like, I can never do this again. I was like, I'm done. I will never do this again. And I cried myself to sleep. And the first thing I saw when I woke up the next morning was a post on Facebook from Claire, the heartbreak coach. And and she's pretty great. You should follow her on all the channels. If you're not already, she taking Um, clients right now. I believe she apply for her program. I hear she has an amazing guest instructor also. Check them out. Cool. Um, yeah, no, it was supposed basically speaking like exact to exactly what I just said to my best friend about like, do you think it's just not in the cards for you? And I was like, oh my God, I like, this is it. I, something has got to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's so interesting, as you say, like it took me to get to rock bottom, as they always say, obviously again, in 12 step programs whatever it is that you're addicted to, you know, I identify as my rock bottom as my relationship from now, gosh, 11 years ago. And if you guys who are listening aren't familiar with that story, you can listen to episode five, my heartbreak story. But then, you know, so that was at 29 and 30 years old. And then I got my heart broken again, fingers crossed for the last time, uh, at 
oh, where, where are we at now? Maybe I, I was 36 and that I was already a life coach. I was a general life coach for women and had definitely healed a lot of myself. And that guy was definitely such an up level from rock bottom guy five years prior. But I feel like he was a next level rock bottom of that. Like, okay, no one has been as bad as motherfucker rock bottom X, but I'm still attracting unavailable people who are even quote unquote nice guys who aren't like cheating on me or doing any or like lying to me, you know, but still unavailable. And that really inspired me to be like, okay, I'm a life coach. I need to find someone who specializes in heartbreak. And then I looked all over and couldn't find a heartbreak coach. And it just hit me like, oh my God, it's me. I've got to figure this out. I need to speak to this. I have so much of experience of being heartbroken and I'm going to use the tools that I have to navigate heartbreak in a completely different way. And you know what? I still got a little butt hurt after that guy too. I still attracted a few more unavailables, but I was able to clock it much earlier. I think it goes back to, again, we're not curing the desire or the pull towards unavailables. We're just not saying yes to them anymore. And then I really got clear on dating myself. And I know I'm just, I'm just throwing that in because it's going to be different for everybody to just decide, okay, something's got to really fucking change here. And for me, there were several different moments. One was at 29 and 30. One was at 36. There were still a couple of unavailables after, but I was nipping them in the bud sooner. Then I was like looking at my business and my relationship with my money and all of that stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to really consciously date me. And then I created the process to call in love and was just like having fun and experimenting. And I was still just Claire, the heartbreak coach. And then, you know, really just effortlessly called Larry in because I just got so much more clear on what I, on who I want, as well as like so proud of the partner that I know that I am and what I have to offer on the physical, mental, and emotional levels. And then I just got so excited about it. And I also paid attention to the successful relationships in my life around me. I had such great models of wonderful relationships. I didn't want them to be my relationship. I wasn't, you know, envious of like my friends and loved ones specific partners, but I was like, they all have healthy relationships. They fight and then fight for the relationship. They have mad passionate sex and an emotional connection. They're on the same page. They want the same things. They have conversations. They get vulnerable with each other. I'm all of those things and want all of those things. And I'm just not going to fucking settle. And if that means I'm going to be alone through my 40s, through my 50s, like I'm never going to stop fighting for the right kind of love for me. But I'm fucking done with settling for the wrong love and choosing that over myself. Yeah. Oh my God. The, when you just said like, oh, they fight for each other. That was like, Mm. I think the most recurring thing for me and like all of my string of heartbreaks, I would obviously, I would be drawn and I would engage and I would date all of these unavailable men who would eventually leave me. And the narrative that just kept getting reinforced is like, why won't anyone fight for me? Why am I not worth fighting for, right? What's so wrong with me that no one wants to fight for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and that just, I, I yeah, like that. And that was, I think, the most heartbreaking thing. And I genuinely believed, I was like, what is so bad and broken about me that no one wants to fight for me? And it was that belief, right, that kept me like going back 
because I believed like, oh, if they, if this is the person who finally fights for me, that's going to like absolve all of these wounds somehow, right? Or it will have made it all worthwhile. Yeah, right. It will heal all of the people that didn't fight for me. And just to speak to the, you know, the part of your process of like really dating yourself, I think that was probably the most pivotal part in my healing journey Mm -hmm. is, is realizing that you can't rely on anything outside of yourself to just validate your existence. You can't wait for someone else to choose you or someone else to fight for you to make you finally believe like, yeah, I'm worth it. Yeah. That's an inside job. Totally. Inside job. 100%. And so as people are listening, especially if they're hung up on someone specifically right now or just tired of their patterns of getting really hung up on unavailables. And then when they think of this idea of dating themselves, the fall in love with you section that I really am adamant about impressing upon my clients is, you know, how fucking boring. It's so much more exciting. Fantasizing about him, fantasizing about him coming back, realizing what he's missing, spewing me all the words that make me feel worthy again, to your point, justify how all the times I've gone back was worthwhile because now he's a changed reform person, which P.S. for the five years that I've been heartbreak coaching, no one has ever come back and proven (laughs) that he's now like this reformed person. Actually, there are two situations in the group, but they were like... It was a breakup kind of in the beginning in one situation and then a breakup a year in, but they came back quick and have like adjusted accordingly. It's not this breakup makeup because some people do break up and get back together, but not I've never seen that breakup makeup, breakup makeup, breakup makeup, breakup makeup, you know, ultimately come to some final because then the, the trust is broken. There's the irreparable cracks in the mirror waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's just it's it, I would say majority of the time, but I've I've never seen. So, yeah, I've seen it work out when there's a breakup and the two of you come back together, like both women who I'm thinking of in my group program got very heavily coached on how they were approaching entering back in and and even got coached on if they wanted to enter back in and why. There was a very strategic approach to mending those two particular relationships. So I'm not making a blanket statement that, you know, if it doesn't work out once, it could never work out. But when you're in those that that vicious cycle of the sucking back in only to be discarded, only to be sucked back in again, it's so not healthy and so not good. So yeah, is dating yourself like more boring than being in the high, high of getting sucked back in? Yes. Choose it anyway. Choose calm. Choose you. Choose peace. Choose just like being able to easily move through your day. I remember when I was dating myself very intentionally for five months in 2019. I met Larry in September of 2019, but the five months leading up to that before I started to consciously date in August of 2019. Yes, he very effortlessly came in because of my, I truly believe both the way that I really fucking enjoyed my own company. And I had the thought, and this is what I teach, your thoughts creating your results. While I was dating myself, you know, sometimes my brain would go, oh, you should be on the apps. The good ones might be slipping through the cracks. Like my single friends in LA, they're swiping and they're dating. I would have those little wobbly moments. And I was like, no, my thoughts create my results. So when I know that I am good, ready, and clear and very deliberate and intentional on calling my person in, he's going to arrive. My person is going to arrive. But I had some things I wanted to clean up about myself. And one of them was just really 
enjoying my own company. And I had just moved into truly in my mid thirties, my first big girl apartment in Beverly Hills. Some of you might've heard me share this already, but I would just wake up being like, I fucking love my apartment. I feng shui the shit out of it. I had a feng shui girl come in. We have a feng shui episode. Megan Wallace James came in. She feng shui'd my apartment to call in love. So I like really created space for him in my closet. He had a black toothbrush in my drawer while I was not taking active action to date. I just had fun thinking about him coming while the active work was just on myself and really enjoying just curling up and watching TV by myself in my own apartment while also having a life and building an incredible dream business and all my friends in LA, I still had a life, but I like really was actively enjoying and dating myself and found so much peace in myself to the point that, and this was you as well, Katie, that I had to push myself out of the nest to be like, oh, I'm getting a little too comfortable here in my own company. Life is like very comfortably good because nobody's going to rock the boat or hurt me. And of course, when we get back out there on the horse again, old shit's going to come up. And and then we start to really like someone and they like us. Old shit's going to come up. That's what happens. But you're way more equipped to move through it, ask for what you need, look out for the red flags, kick Mr. Wrongs to the curb, Mr. Unavailables to the curb, even when, again, your heart and vagina don't want to. It's a fucking process, which is why you should be in my group, because it gets very overwhelming of, wait, what's my next move? What am I doing here? Ah, I'm scattered. I'm finding that in my own coaching work right now. There's like many different directions that I want to take it. So it's really helpful to get it all out and get clear on where you're at and decide to knock it off with telling yourself that this is okay when it's not. But you have to be ready for that. And you have to get excited about that and be willing to move through that this discomfort, which leads me to, as we wrap up here, Katie, a moment that Matthew Perry talks about in the interview with Diane Sawyer. You guys should definitely check it out. I think you for sure can find it on Hulu. He talks about uh, when he was in a really dark time, this golden light washed over him or he saw a golden light. I'm not exactly sure what the visual was. And he said that it lasted about seven minutes and the message that he was getting from this golden light was I am accepted and loved and everything's going to be okay. And he really feels like this golden light saved him. And his sponsor, who he shared the experience with, said that golden light is as real as the couch you're sitting on. And I am just going to bring a little bit of spirituality in at the end of all of this. Someone very close to me had been very sick a very long time ago. And she told me when she was lying in the hospital bed, I'm going to start crying. (laughs) She told me that like a rush came through her body and something just went through her body that told her she was going to be okay. And when he talked about that, that that's what I thought of. And you know, for those of you, I don't know what your spiritual practice is, or if you believe in God or a higher power, as Matthew Perry says, um, when people don't believe that there is something bigger than beyond us, he said, well, you know, for people who don't believe that the golden light is real, tell them to go stop a wave or go make a plant. (laughs) And I really loved that. And, you know, I'm not here to preach that there is a God for you, but I know that 
that's what I reached for too in the depths of my despair, just asking God. I, I I can honestly say I've never had some golden light experience. I think I have had moments of like, okay, you're going to be okay, Claire. Like I've had that message come through. I haven't had this golden light experience, but I believe it. I believe him. I believe this woman who shared this experience with me and you know, so many experiences that you hear of people connecting to God, but just asking for something greater to take over. And of course, the 12 step programs talk about this asking for your higher power when you feel like you are out of control and you are powerless, that there really is something bigger at play. And it was really hard for me to believe that in my rock bottom relationship, but I still always sat down and meditated and lit a candle and drew cards and just said, God, please take this from me. Please take this from me. I'm here. Show me the bigger lesson. There was a long time, you know, you hear all the time, this is happening for you, you know? And it's like, that was a really, really hard thing for me to accept in the thick of my pain, like that there's like a bigger lesson here. Well, guys, you know, 11 years ago, if someone told me that I was going to be a heartbreak coach and madly in love with the love of my life and, you know, being a parent figure to his four children and living in Santa Barbara, California, like all, all of my heartache and the worst times of my life led me to the greatest calling and the greatest love of my life. And I couldn't see it obviously at the time. And honestly, if someone said, don't worry, you're going to find love in Santa Barbara and you're going to stop your acting career and you're going to be a heartbreak coach at the time, I would have been like, that sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad there was no, you know, psychic telling me that that's going to look like, but it really is all worth it. But what I offer to any of you right now who are like, how can this possibly be happening for me? Lean in, ask whatever greater power, if if there's one that you feel connected to and, you know, trust that it is working for you, but you've got to show up for the lesson and the work. You know, that's, that's when you can fall into victimhood of like, oh, why is this happening to me? And yeah, there's some fucked up shit that happened. I was a victim of emotional abuse. You've been a victim, right? We're not denying the abuse and we're not saying that it wasn't okay. But when we're in this victim mode of this just keeps happening to me and I'm never going to find love and woe is me versus, whoa, I have a say here. And it's really fucking hard to say no. And it's really fucking hard to kick this person to the curb. And it's really fucking hard to move through this ring of fire of withdrawal of this person. But I could do it. And I'm willing to see what's on the other side of that ring of fire because doing this over and over and over again, whether it's with the same person or multiple people, is just not a way to live. And that's where I say, raise the fucking stakes like this is life or death because this is your life. And do you want to be on your deathbed? That was another critical question that I asked myself. Do I want to be on my deathbed whenever that is? Just regretting how hung up on, uh, how hung up I was on fucking douchey ass manipulative losers or just lame unavailables that were, you know, talking a big talk, but couldn't fucking walk the walk. Is that how I wanted to spend my life? That is why, you know, it might sound very dramatic to you guys listening, but I do think that it is life or death because I don't want to be hung up on someone who doesn't love me the way that I love them. And I don't want to love someone else more than me. And sure, like I have a parent figure role now with Larry's kids. And I can 
probably say I love maybe that's why I'm still not cured. I love Larry and the kids more than I love me. <laughs> but it feels good and healthy and grounded. And if I lost them, I'd fall the fuck apart. I really would. If he ended it, all the shit would come up. That would be my new rock bottom. But I would lean in and fall apart and move through the ring of fire to just get to somewhere else that I am meant to be. Katie, any final thoughts as we wrap up this fabulous episode? Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Again, thanks for having me. Um, You know, I was just listening to you say like, oh, how this is happening for you. And most people listening to this episode probably aren't going to find themselves as a heartbreak coach as a result of their rock bottom, you know, heartbreak. Of course. But I know for me, right. And like I just said, my, my universal lesson was no one is choosing me. Why won't anyone choose me? And I had to be given that lesson probably a thousand times in a row for me to finally choose my fucking self. And that was like, that is the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Like I, I wouldn't have in this way, I wouldn't have leaned into the healing work. I wouldn't have, you know, done all of the growth work that I've done to live the life that I'm currently living. If I hadn't been like pushed to the depths of that despair yeah, and it's, it wasn't fun. I, I don't know that I would wish it on, on anyone except for the douchey dudes who put us through it, but they're such narcissists. They don't have the ability to feel that pain. Motherfuckers. <laughs> it was, and it was, it, it, I honestly thought more than once, this is what's going to take me out. This is what's going to kill me. But I always came out the other end. And I know that if I hadn't had to, you know, go through the hurt that I went through, I know that I never would have done the healing that I've done. And I never would have learned to love myself and to create my own worth and see my own value. I just, there's no way that I would have gotten to where I am had I, had I not experienced that. So again, it wasn't fun, but if I were given the chance, I remember this is so like, this is such a bizarre example, but I remember being at a workshop with Janine Roth, who was a best-selling author and she was the victim of the Bernie Madoff scandal and she lost everything and a bunch of her friends lost everything. And they, but as a result, they all learned this amazing lesson about what enough is. And they wouldn't have learned it if they didn't lose everything that they had exactly. and they And they all got together at this party and someone posed the question, if you had the chance to go back, would you keep your fortune or would you lose it all to now know what you know? And every single person said, I'd lose it all again in a heartbreak to know what I know. And that's how I feel. I love it. You said I'd lose it all in a heartbreak. I'd lose it all. (laughs) I'd lose it all in a heartbeat. And I would have my, yeah, it would also be heartbreaking to lose. It would be heartbreaking, but I, yeah, yeah, if I could take back all the heartbreaks and like not have learned the lessons, I'm like, I I would, I would go through it all again. Yeah. And I know I wouldn't have found Larry because this it's like, we can talk all day about them being Mr. Unavailables, but I was unavailable to myself, which was why I attracted them and then why I fucking stayed and why I fucking went back. So I had to learn my own sense of worth to attract someone who's fucking off the charts dreamboat on the inside of and out, in my opinion, and perfect for me. But I also have this, you know, I, I was really reactive in those relationships. I always say this, you guys, like I was in a really abusive relationship, that rock bottom relationship, but, you know, 
I attacked him. I was like fighting and aggressive and didn't have the wherewithal to be calm and grounded and say, whoa, you're just shady as fuck. So I'm going to exit. Thanks for playing. Right. Like I was engaging in it and reacting off of it again, still a victim to the abuse. But like I had to stop my shit. That's like at the end of the day, that's all I have control over. And, you know, the partner that I am to Larry would not be the partner I am without having gone through that stuff because I was still emotionally immature and reactive. Hence, again, why I attracted. It didn't mean that I deserved the abuse. I want to be very clear. You don't deserve any kind of abuse. But I can also safely say I got verbally abusive back, you know, and actually when Rock Bottom X, when I first discovered him cheating on me the first time, I threw I threw my fists on his chest so he could say Claire physically assaulted me. I did one or two uh, fists on his chest and I realized what I did and I like got shocked and then I turned and I started punching the wall. Like I had my shit. I had my issues, you know, and he said, don't punch the wall, punch me. And of course, in true Mary Claire Byrne dramatic fashion, I said, you're not even worth it. That actually happened. (laughs) But, you know, here I am just like being really real and transparent. It's not easy for me to share that stuff about myself, but there was a fuck ton of healing I needed to do that makes me the partner that I am and that makes me have the relationship that I have, you know, without getting into too much private detail, like Larry has been stressed about some things recently and I see that he's, you know, a little bit moodier and and not as connected to me. And I'm totally okay with it because I know that he's got legit things on his plate that are big and heavy and hard. And yet he still, like he came home from work the other night and I could see he was just, you know, not great. And he's like rarely not great. And he just looked at me and I just kissed him and he just looked at me and And he just is like, I love you. You know, like when we're in the depths of our despair, not that he's in the depths of his despair, but he's just going through a little bit of a stressful situation. And yet, like, we still don't take each other for granted. And I think, you know, I've definitely had my own stresses and I'm always conscious of, and he always says, thank you so much for listening to me complain. I'm like, babes, I got you. I'm here. I'm here for it all day. Whatever you need. What can I, what can I do for you? Right. And then also not falling into the trap of, I need to fix him. I need to make him better. That's how I know I'm not cured. Cause that's where my brain goes. Like, Oh, it's my responsibility to make him feel better. That's my job. And it's not right. So the work continues, but there's like a next level of appreciation and a next level of consciousness in the most up-leveled relationship I've ever been in that would not be if I hadn't not only gone through those really fucked up, painful, unhealthy, toxic, abusive relationships, but then leaned in for the work and leaned in for my own lessons when I couldn't see the bigger picture, when I couldn't see the golden light to then get me all the clarity, peace, satisfaction, happiness alone that ultimately inspired me to create the process to call him in. And I want to do that for all of you listening. So by the time this episode comes out, I think it will almost be December. It'll be the end of November. We're recording this a couple of weeks earlier than the release date of this episode. Treat yourself for the holidays and apply to stop wanting him back and find someone better. Help is out there. You also don't have to be too proud. At one point, I thought, I can do this on my own, and I couldn't. And that was also humbling in and of its own right. But 
help is here. The most amazing support is here coming into this room. I mean, I think actually it would be great for you to speak to it as a student of the group because they hear me and obviously I'm biased. (laughs) But I mean, you are just, again, the reason why you're a guest instructor is because you're just a model student of the work. So if you could just share a tidbit on your experience, you don't have to go on forever about it. I know we're wrapping and this is an extra long episode, Katie, but um, why should they treat themselves, treat themselves? By the way, guys, also there's a six month option and we've got payment plans available. So it's not just one year anymore. If you want to do a smaller investment of your time and your money, um, do it. (laughs) That's my endorsement. Do it. Um, I can't, I can't imagine the, the healing journey. If I, I will say this, I tried to do it by myself for 40 years and I kept finding myself in the same place. So if you want a different result, right, you have to do so. If you want to experience something that you haven't experienced before, you have to do something you haven't done before. And I hadn't gotten support like this. I hadn't done deep healing work on this specific issue in this way before. And I was so ready to do something different. I was so ready to experience something different. And this was it. And it continues to be it. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And can you just speak really quickly to the group dynamic? Because I think it's intimidating for people and it's such a vulnerable space to be in. And it's such a vulnerable topic to work through with other people watching. And that was something I was resistant to. I even had trouble going into Al-Anon meetings back in the day in New York City. I was very uncomfortable. And now like the group dynamic for me as a student and as the coach of this group, but also a student in other group coaching scenarios has been so fucking powerful. So could you speak to that, Katie? Yeah, there's, I mean, there are so many benefits to being in the group and I've been in group programs before I've had one-on-one support before they both have their place. They both offer, you know, different kinds of value for me. The value of the group is one, this, this really like incredible sense of belonging and knowing that I'm not alone and that I'm not broken. I'm not deficient. I'm not some outlier that will never find it because it's impossible for me. It's like, no, this is a, we are more alike than we are different. And it's so affirming and reassuring to see. And then when I saw other people who had struggled the way that I struggled and people who you want to be friends with, right? Like that's the thing. It's like, I amazing people. It's like, sometimes you're like, Oh, well it might be a weird. And it's like, no, these women are so lovable and so much fun. We laugh, we cry. You energetically feel like you're rooting for each other. And we are. Yeah. Yeah. We are. Um, Thank you so, so much, Katie. This was so enlightening. No shame in admitting addiction to love. Get the help. There's so many resources out there. And again, if you're in a situation where you're experiencing domestic violence or that you are tempted to you know, hurt yourself in any way, email hello at clairetheheartbreakcoach.com and I will help you find some resource to get you the help you need. And if you're if the work we're speaking about in this group feels like it's something you want to do, again, clairetheheartbreakcoach.com. Click on the work with me page and apply to my group program. Can't wait to read your applications and have the opportunity to get coached by Katie J, who comes a couple of times a month out of the 16 calls. So much love, my loves. Until next time. Bye. My love. 
Are you ready to stop wanting him back and find someone better? Then head on over to clairetheheartbreakcoach.com and sign up for my one-year group coaching program. I can't wait to put a stop to your broken heart and get a start on your happily ever after. 